Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place. You can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. You can make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports to concerts, comedy, and theater. Of course, USC football, which we talk about here. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. By far, it's the easiest way to shop for tickets. I'm looking at it right now for USC at UCLA. Of course, in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl, you got some Row 36 2E tickets for $111. That's the best deal. You can go for the lowest price. Tickets as cheap as $60 in Row 65. So get all your information you need about the tickets for the game on SeatGeek. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. If you download the app, enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Tuesday, we're going to talk some USC Georgia football like we always do every week on the Peristyle Podcast with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. You guys had a few questions for Dan this week. We'll try to get to as many as we can. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or you can call or text us at 424 424- Two five four nine one four one. We got Keely. You're feeling a little under the weather, so it's just going to be me and Dan this week. But hopefully, Keely will be able to bounce back and make it back to practice today. Uh, but let's welcome in Dan Weber because there's a lot that we got to talk about. What is up, Dan? How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, doing better than uh, the USC program, unfortunately. Since I can say that, but uh, man, oh man, uh, you don't know where to start, do you? It's hard to. Uh, it's hard. Yes. There's so many things. It was funny. I, you know, this morning I was doing a recruiting podcast with Gerard Martinez. You can check that out up on the site. It's a, for our, for our VIP members, for premium members had to squeeze in a Mason and Ireland interview because the local radio, they wanted me to talk about, uh, that, uh, I'm going to speak in Jeff Fellinger's class this evening, not necessarily about the state of USC football, but I'm sure that's going to come up. We got practice that we're going to get to today. We got to obviously do this show. We want to talk about Cal, but there's so many other things going on. And and we'll start off, Dan. Breaking news. So we reported and uh, we were hearing, you know, yesterday that Levi Jones was uh, going to be kicked off the team or was kicked off the team. Uh, Turns out it's not only just that. He was also arrested for a misdemeanor charge up in Pasadena. It was just a bail of 250 bucks, but um, don't think that's related. But another uh, young, promising star no longer on the squad, Dan. So we'll. I tried to get a, a spokesperson from USC to confirm what we were hearing, and they declined, saying that Clay Helton would address it uh, after practice today. So when we get back from practice or after practice, we'll find out you know, for sure exactly whatever Clay says. But I wanted to get your thoughts on Levi Jones uh, no longer being on the team, Dan. Yeah, I mean they were they had talked about a you know a, a kind of mysterious hip ailment whatever uh, two weeks ago and and then you know improving and whatever but then he doesn't show up in either of the last two games. I mean he uh, and it's like where is he? What's going on? We're not really getting any kind of a an, a real story as to you know to what's going on and and apparently. There have been other issues that haven't been reported that, you know, we're hearing about now. Uh, it's, uh, you know, we're hearing that, you know, his dad, former, you know, Super Bowl winning, uh, you know, NFL linebacker, you know, who's had a couple of kids that have gone into the NFL, not very happy at all about the USC program. I know, uh, was it last week? He was, he wanted to go, uh, uh, visit with some of the NFL people that he saw at a at a practice. The scouts, you know, you can see him around the edge of the field, 
And he started heading there, and the guards stopped him and said, no, no, you're a parent. you got to stay over here. And he said, yeah, but I'm also in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he was told, stay behind the ropes, buddy. Uh, and not you know, not get so, near the media, because that would be terrible if you... That would be the other thing. He would have had to walk in front of us. Uh, uh, so, uh, so such a crime. anyway, yeah, so he got stopped. I'm, I'm amazed that they immediately realized who he was, because he's sort of a... You know, a hybrid. He's sort of an NFL guy too, uh, but he's a parent, and uh, so and, you know, you're hearing that he's really not happy with different things that are going on at USC. Who knows all the you know the stories that are you know that involved? I mean, every time they play Levi, he does something well. It's you know kind of like well, there's just nowhere to play him. It's like uh, you know Palaia. Uh, he's you know he does a lot of things really well, but it's just so hard to get them on the field. So I think there's that sense of, you know, how can a kid like that get on the field and, and what's happening off the field, um, you know, to make it difficult for him, you know, to, to move on in this situation. I mean, there's just a lot of, of frustration and unhappiness uh, with the program right now, outside of, inside the program, you name it. It's, uh, it's not a happy place uh, at all. No, it's not. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunate. He was someone I always liked watching, always wanted to see more of Levi Jones. And seeing that exchange with his dad, you kind of got the feeling like this is not going well. Um, you know, with the security guard and his dad, they had to call someone over. That wasn't that wasn't very nice. Um, so Levi Jones no longer on the team. We'll see. You know, USC is pretty stacked at linebacker, but still uh, he's someone that had a lot of ability. Uh, we'll see what, you know, kind of that followed. But it's just kind of like a – it's just another thing uh, it's going on. And I, I feel like with Clay Helton, there hasn't been like the things piling on. Like we saw like with Lane Kiffin, there was always something, you know, deflated footballs or changing numbers. There was always like these things that just kept piling on and piling on. Obviously with Steve Sarkeesian, that ended pretty quickly. Um, but there was things that were piling on. But there's kind of things that are happening now with a lot of young players that aren't going to be in the program anymore. Um, and then just the talk, I feel like Clay Helton's lost the fan base, Dan. I mean, I did a Mason and Ireland show and that's all they're talking about. That's USC's flagship station. You know, there, that's where they are and they're, they should, you know, usually they're going to be somewhat positive about the program and you have John Ireland who's a UCLA guy, Steve Mason, an SC guy. And they're both just talking like, yeah, it's obviously over similar to what, you know, uh, your column was after the game and similar to what Colin Coward said a couple of weeks ago in our studio, uh, it just seems like the support for Clay Helton has diminished so quickly. I don't know. I, you know, we'd heard that the administration doesn't want to make any moves, but man, it's just at this point, I don't know where the support is coming from, and maybe not even his own players who you know seem to like him very well. But it just seems like it's eroded from everywhere, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I think they're to that point where if you come in, uh, as we've heard, and announce to the players. Uh, that you're coming back and that the athletic director has said you're coming back and the player's general reaction is not, oh, good, uh, but it's more the other way, I don't know where you go from that. You know, I mean, what what do you do in terms of, uh, I mean, I think, the, you know, the big danger now, I think a lot of season ticket holders have turned their back on the program because they basically had their seats taken away uh, for next year. Uh I mean, I think uh, the big danger is uh, you know, twofold in a lot of ways is what happens to this recruiting class. And I know USC has made some bad decisions over the years based on one recruiting class or the next recruiting class or whatever. But if you lose all the guys you've lost to people just leaving the program for all those reasons that you've lost them, and then you start losing current players who – you know, the rumblings are that people are going to transfer and then you have, you know, a difficult time recruiting that next year's class because everybody's going to be recruiting against USC, uh, especially the kids that have committed to, you know, hey, why would you go there? You have no idea who's going to be coaching you most of your college career. You, you get to a point where, I mean, I think we were just figuring that the downside of doing something is greater uh, if you're the athletic director with no president and with all the other things that are going on with the lawsuits and the settlements and the board of trustees 
having to find a president and all that, that that doing something, you know, major with the football coach is not something you'd want to do right now. And that the downside of doing that and, and having maybe a new president come in and say, what, you, you did what? And you're going to spend how much money and all of that. I think now they're close to the place where the downside of not doing that is greater, where you might get a new president here in the spring. And if, uh, you know, they can't sell any season tickets and they're, you know, having trouble getting the people who put up the, you know, pledged the, uh, you know, the founder suites, $10 million, uh, you know, to come through and uh, you're having trouble recruiting and, you know, you're sort of a laughing stock program. Uh, the new president might say, what the heck were you doing to allow this to happen? So the incentive for allowing it to happen uh, may be more, you know, negative, you know, for anybody in the athletic department than the incentive of going ahead and, and, uh, and you know, and doing it. So I don't know. I think the, uh, the tipping point has been reached. And uh, as you said, I don't know anybody in the fan base that's, uh, that's supportive. And if the team starts, you know, breaking down uh, in the media, I mean, I think if you look at the national media, I don't think there's a one, uh, you know, that thinks that it should happen, that Clay should be back. And, and yet the, the, the only thing they're throwing out there is, I think, the completely bogus figure of $15 million buyout, which is just completely silly. Um, that would only mean if you had still five years at $3 million a year guaranteed. I don't think there's any way. USC didn't guarantee the first contract uh, all those years, and they're not going to you know, guarantee the extension. I think the extension was more to say uh, for a recruiting statement that, that this staff, this coach would be around uh, for these years, but I would, you know, bet anything that that was not guaranteed. Those were not guaranteed years. So I don't think the buyout is anywhere nearly a, as big a deal as the figure that's out there that says that uh, the buyout $15 million. USC, USC may not be the, you know, the smartest negotiators in the world. They're probably not that dumb uh, that, that they owe Clay $15 million. So. I don't know. You would think not. I, I mean, I, I, as soon as I heard the extension in February, I didn't think there was going to be a big buyout because uh, it just wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, we'll see. I, I don't buy that number either. Um, we got a question from Steve. So we're going to try to answer all your questions. We're not going to speculate on who the next head coach is going to be and all that stuff. So I'm going to skip those. Uh, sorry about that. I'll, I'll send Dan to his column if you want to ask him some of those. But okay. we're not going to talk about that. Um Steve says, I just saw this morning that Colorado is planning to fire Mike McIntyre at the end of the season. Apparently, five and five gets you fired at Colorado. But at USC, we're told the program is, quote unquote, good shape. Are we living in some sort of alternate universe in which Colorado's administration, athletic director and board of trustees care more about their football program than USC does? If this is the new reality, then we are in for a slow and painful decline. Thanks for fight on, Steve. And just to let you know, that report was by a Denver radio station. It looks to be erroneous. The the administration for Colorado came out and said that was not true. Um, so, Well, uh, here's my take on I, I read it carefully, what the administration said. And it basically, I think what they said was, we haven't fired him yet. And we haven't made the final absolute decision to fire him yet. But we might is if you tried to read between the lines, they in no way uh, said that, uh, you know, he's coming back. Uh, they gave you one of those, we're going to evaluate and we always evaluate and blah, blah, blah. But that report, well, you know, they basically said the report was uh, premature. They didn't say it was completely wrong. I don't, in trying to read what their statement was, it was one of those non-denial denials. If yeah. I, I think, no, I, I, I mean, I think, yeah, I think somebody has heard and, and has, has let the word out, even though Colorado is not ready to do it yet. But, uh, but I think, I think the writing is on the wall there, which is amazing. If that's true, and, you know, and of Colorado, you know, the guy, I mean, this is where you hurt yourself. You get off to a five and a start and everybody thinks you're pretty good and you're really not. And, 
I still remember the Colorado fans went nuts when I did that five questions for, for the Colorado site and told them <clears throat> they weren't that good. And if USC plays even reasonably well, USC's going to win the game. And they thought I was crazy. How, we're 5-0. and oh, What are you talking about? We're ranked. You're not. I said, come on, you guys. But they got their hopes up so much at Colorado that uh, they're not taking it well, obviously, no. to say the least. Uh, they're taking it really badly. But, yeah, but they're doing something, apparently. I think they're going to do something. And uh, <clears throat> that would be amazing because how much harder is it to put together a program at Colorado than USC and the whole difference in, in traditions and everything else. But, uh, but if Colorado does something and USC just kind of sits there in the face of if things go south, I mean, if, if recruiting really struggles – if players start transferring, and if the finish is, you know, I mean, you got the UCLA game this week. Who, you know, who knows how that's going to turn out? Uh, but uh, uh, that would be an interesting contrast, and that's a really good question to say. What about look at Colorado and look at USC? Yeah, and you're right. Uh, McIntyre, just for you, and George and Oxenard had the same question. He texted that in too, so they were both. Um, thank you guys both for that. Question: Colorado Mike, Mike McIntyre has finished fourth. I mean, uh, last in the conference four times, and first once. Um, so he has won a conference title, um, but it's usually feast or famine, and there's been a lot more famine uh, than feast over there. So we'll see what goes on with him. Um, Steve, and, and oh, they've been trying to put together new, you know, facilities and uh, and raising money and and you know, uh, doing some really nice things with Folsom uh, Folsom Field. And uh, well, they made a commitment that they want uh, football to be good, and and so you know now they're saying you know they're you know they you know if the coach says we we need this we need this and then they give you give you that they're going to a- expect something back from that and uh, and they're not getting it in their minds so uh, uh, but but yeah that 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 would happen this quickly in a season where they were just so you know excited about things. Uh, at least USC didn't have that problem. The way the season started, nobody got excited early, uh, so there's no big letdown. Uh, but the problem at USC is everybody says, see, we saw this coming. It was all Sam Darnold. Once he left, there's nothing you know, left to fall back on. And um, you know, the, the fan base, I'm a little surprised at how completely – turned off the fan base, USC fan base is. I mean, yeah. did it just completely shut down? There is no enthusiasm and no sense of um, this staff can get, get it right. There's none of that. Nobody thinks that. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot of people in the Rose Bowl for, in USC. In USC colors mm-hmm. is my guess. But uh, but you mentioned Sam Darnold. That's a good segue. Stephen Poway, a different Steve. Uh, if Sam Darnold had returned this season, do you think USC would have lost to ASU, losing by three, and to Cal, losing by one? Uh, the reason why I ask is because winning those two games would have the Trojans sitting at six and two, comfortably atop the Pac-12 South division, with both Clay Helton and the Trojans firmly in control of their own destiny. Wow. Fight on, Stephen Poway. Well, Steve, all they had to do was, A, not call the speed option that they'd never run all year, uh, deep in their own territory against Arizona State and give them a touchdown and not snap the ball over the head, uh, you know, of JT Daniels in the, uh, uh, Cal game. And they win both of those games and they're seven and three. And you're right, six, you know, whatever they'd be, six and two. Uh, yeah, I mean, any one thing that would have happened, but yeah, having, you know, having Ronald Jones come back, you know, having Sam come back. I mean, Sam was, was better suited to quarterback in this USC program because basically Sam, what did Sam do? Sam kept plays alive that broke down until receivers could find open spaces and Sam could beat the rush. Uh, but now you've got a drop back quarterback. Although, I mean, to be honest, JT, I thought, uh, eluded the rush pretty well. He, he, uh, ran the ball. A few times. I mean, I think they need to do that more with him. Uh, but uh, but the offense just isn't suited, you know, to take advantage of that. But yeah, obviously, uh, with Sam, they win a couple of more games. I'm thinking with Sam, you're 14 to three or whatever. You're up against Texas. They probably win that game. Uh, 
So, uh, you know, with Sam, you probably win the Stanford game. I, I, I kind of think Stanford's not going to hold USC to three points with Sam in the game. Uh, but, uh, you know, you've got to be able to coach them up. You know, you're going to have a new quarterback every once in a while, and you're going to have a, a little bit different way of attacking. There are things that JT does better than Sam, but they haven't been able to always take advantage of them because of the breakdowns and the fact that something always goes wrong. And you have to have more of a team-oriented attack, you know, with JT. Sam, you know, Sam made up for a lot of, uh, of, of faults in the USC offense and a lot of, you know, uh, inability to, you know, put it all together. But, you know, Sam could overcome that just because of his physical skills and just, you know, just who he is. The same thing he's doing uh, with the Jets. What was somebody said, uh, Sam didn't play last week, and the Jets were behind 31 to nothing at the half, whatever. Was that? I think that's the score. Yeah, to Matt (laughs) Matt Barkley in Buffalo. (laughs) Yeah, Matt Barkley just tearing him up. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, Sam – uh, yes, absolutely, without a doubt, no question about it. They would have won those games. Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, we got a lot of TOA questions. Uh, Jeff, the math teacher, Trojan Way, uh, Trojan Ray. Uh, I'm gonna uh, we'll put those in Dan's column coming later on, but I'll play you this voicemail one uh, from our friend Joan and kind of get you going there. Here you go, Dan. Hey, Ryan and Dan, it's Joan Levis. How are you guys this morning or today on Tuesday? I just have some questions or statements. Um, I'm just wondering how the administration can sit by on the sidelines and watch Helton and, more importantly, let the team disintegrate. Um, you know, as a, a stress seems to be getting to Helton when he says in a press conference, one of Toa is one of the greatest loves of his life. Um, that may be, but that's that's really not a place to express that. And uh, his leadership and discipline are lacking in a team that desperately wants uh, leadership and discipline. These young men need that. Uh, there's infighting on the sidelines and unsportsmanlike conduct, and that's not the MO of these kids. I, I just... I, it's it's really really sad and embarrassing to watch. And uh, for you guys, as a wise man once said, what is really going on here? Thanks a lot. Love my team. Love the tradition of Trojan football, Trojan sports. Fight on. Hey, you got to give Joan credit. She puts her name on it. Uh, she <laughs> she's not making up a name or uh, anonymously. Uh, I will say this. The difficulty with the premise of John's uh, questions and statements is she's talked about the administration. And when you look at USC right now, you have no idea what does that mean? Who is that? How does it all go together? Uh, I don't think we know. I mean, that's the, you know, I mean, we found this problem when trying to address some of the issues with the Coliseum renovation. And you couldn't tell who was in charge, you know, well, so-and-so was here, but he's gone and so-and-so wasn't here. And, and so I don't, I don't even know what we're talking about when we talk about the USC administration. I, I don't, I, I don't even know where that, where that fits in. I mean, this is, you know, this is like kind of a big, big ship that's kind of steered its own course uh, at this point and we'll see where it ends up. Uh, as far as, yeah, the, 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 I think the the most difficult issue with Clay's col- comment about, you know, Toe is one of the great loves of his life is who cares? It doesn't have, <laughs> it, it doesn't have anything to do whether he should be the center at USC or not. That that's not neither here nor there. I mean, you know, this, and if he is one of the great loves of your life, why would you keep sending him out <clears throat> into a situation where he's proven he can't really do it. And here's the guy who's proven himself at other positions. And I know Toa himself said, when we asked him about, as he, you know, talked to Clay about, you know, playing another position. And he said he didn't want to take somebody else's job or he didn't want, you know, that shouldn't be Toa's uh, worry. Uh, Toa basically by August, it should have been set decided. Okay. This is not the position for you. 
We need, you know, every snap to be perfect. We've got a freshman quarterback. He's going to be a drop-back quarterback. And we're not going to do some of the things that we did with Sam uh, where people, you know, who tried to rush uh, actually hurt themselves because Sam always beat them, and then you're playing 11 on 10, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so that decision should have been made early. And whether you like Toa or you don't like him, that should have nothing to do whether he's your center or not. That, that's just, it's totally irrelevant. So not only is, you know, is it a sign of, of, of you know, kind of an emotional approach to things and a personal approach, but it's like detached from the reality of how do we put the best football team on the field with the most chance for success? And, and you can't say, oh, we only had a couple of bad snaps when the one snap cost you the game. I mean, there's, there's, you can't say that. that that's, irre, that's irrelevant in terms of the other snaps that were good. If the one bad one costs you the game, that's all that matters. The rest of it doesn't matter. You assume you're going to get it perfectly. And if you don't, you got to do something about that. And that, that there's not that ability to do that. And then the, as far as it's shocking, there's not a lot of talking. And there's not a lot of trash talking. There's not a lot of you know, over-the-top competition in practice. And then all of a sudden it breaks out when they get into games and you, you're not sure if they're trying to make up for what doesn't happen in practice, if they're trying to overcompensate. Uh, but that's not what we see in practice. So here they are, you know, in games and it's constant jawing. And it's like, it's just, and, and, and to say, when you ask about, I asked, you know, Clay about that, and he said, well, both teams are competitive, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but only one team got unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. The other one didn't. Only one team, you know, killed itself with those penalties, that bad field position. Uh, the other team didn't. So, you know, maybe Cal does it better. You know, they were smarter. You know, they, they uh, you know, they had Iman on the side, and, you know, I'm sure they got to him. But they didn't do anything that got them a flag. And, you know, that basically saved the game for them. And uh, USC just uh, – yeah, I thought uh, Pete Carroll rule was, you know, number one rule, uh, never do anything that hurts the team. Never. And that rule is violated all the time. Uh, and yet USC is getting better on penalties. It's just the inappropriate, um, you know, over-emotional, frustrating reaction – uh, has to stop. And if that starts with the coaches, that's why and Clay talked about, that's why they put coach in front of your name. Yeah. That's why they put coach in front of your name. And, and just being able to win the argument when you say, Hey, you can't throw him out of the game. He's the other no- number eight who got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. We have two number eights and yeah, they both got unsportsmanlike conduct penalties but you can't throw one of them out because you think both of them are on him. Okay. You won that argument, but did you really, when you have to say both of our number eight got unsportsmanlike conduct penalties? Come on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was at least the Pac-12 ref got that right eventually, but uh, that was kind of funny. Um, yeah. Two number eights got penalties here. All right. we got a question from John. I think what makes the loss to Cal even more frustrating are the comments from Clay Helton afterwards. I'm wondering what Dan thinks of the following quote from Clay Helton. Quote, I'm sorry for the 5-5 five and five season right now, but better days are to come. Programs I've seen across the country win a Rose Bowl, win a Pac-12 championship, and then have an offseason and come right back. Does he really view 5-5 five and five as an offseason? And is this the kind of attitude a coach at USC should have? This sounds like the philosophy that works at a school like Michigan State or Washington State, but USC, seriously? Or maybe it matches the philosophy of an administration that reduces the seating capacity at the Coliseum. If these are the expectations of all involved with the USC football program, I wish someone would tell us so we can stop expecting greatness and perhaps turn our attention to other things. John. Yeah, I think the first part of that, he was trying, Clay was trying to attach himself to what happened at Notre Dame when they went, you know, the four and eight and, and got routed and had a lot of injuries and, were, uh, you know, Kelly was forced to uh, change his coaches and, and get rid of a bunch of coaches and all that. I mean, we haven't heard from Clay that, you know, I'm going to do that part of it. 
but I think that was with Notre Dame game coming up. I think that was a reference to, hey, they had a really, you know, off season and now they're unbeaten and, you know, in the playoffs as far as everything is concerned. Uh, but I think that's kind of irrelevant uh, in terms of, uh, you know, where this USC program is. I mean, I think, first of all, I think the circumstances are much more difficult uh, that Notre Dame, you know, they did a wonderful job renovating their stadium, but their fans are Notre Dame fans. You know, they don't have the choice of going to the Lakers or the Dodgers or the Rams or the Chargers or whoever, or hockey teams or whatever. They're Notre Dame fans. They're built in. They're not going to lose them. USC, uh, you know, is in a really tough situation. It's in a great situation in a lot of ways, but when you go south, uh, it's, they're in a tough situation. They're competing for, you know, the, uh, entertainment dollars and the, you know, the sports dollars and the attention. And it's only so much time and, you know, uh, space and, and for media to cover anybody. And once you get, you know, and yeah, and, and let's face it, LA is a, uh, a star town, you know, it's a, you know, you better be on the marquee. And if you're not on the marquee, uh, you're not one of the people on the marquee, uh, you might as well be nowhere. And that's kind of where USC is now. And obviously college football is there as, uh, as Joey, uh, Coffin came up with the, uh, 13 losses is the most ever for both, both, uh, LA college football team going into this game. So, uh, you know, not only do you have the chargers in town back in town and the Rams back in town, that wasn't happening a decade ago. Uh, you've got a lot of, a lot of tough. So five and five is not just a blip. Uh, it's the trajectory of the program. I think it's pretty obvious that that trajectory is downward. And USC is right now uh, looked at by the rest of the Pac-12 as this is our chance. You know, not only can we go in there and recruit kids away from USC, but we can beat USC. And we don't have to be, you know, talented as they are, but we're going to beat them. And so you see on the sidelines, like the last two losses at the Coliseum, the Arizona State coaches and players and the Cal coaches and players just had a sense, we're going to beat USC. They're nobody to be afraid of. We're going to do things, you know, we're tougher, we're smarter, we're better coached, and uh, they believe it. And uh, I don't think USC can allow itself to be in that position. I think it's really difficult spot for USC to be in where all your rivals just think this is the time to get you, you know. And USC's done nothing to pull out of this. I mean, it's like if stuff is happening like that, you have to respond and you have to deal with it in a way that says, that's not true. We're going to show you we're better than you, but they didn't, you know, uh, I mean, let's face it against Cal USC should have walked off at halftime, 27 to nothing up. You know, they gave up the field goal, uh, with a crazy idiotic, uh, fake field goal, uh, you know, play. And then they, uh, and then the fumble at the 10 yard line in the last minute where, you know, Almond Ra is trying to be a hero instead of just taking the first down and you got a minute to get in from the 10. And, uh, so those, now you're only up 14 to nothing. If you're up 27 to nothing, Cal hasn't scored that many points in like four games or whatever. They know they're, they're lost. The game's over, but they're down only 14 to nothing. They think they've got a chance and then USC gives them the chance. I mean, it's like Cal didn't earn that. No. Yes, he gave it to him. Yeah. So, so you know, no. I mean, <laughs> a little frustrated. Know, just, yeah, I know. It, it's we're we're I all know. there. It's just uh, okay. Here's a next voicemail question for you. Hey guys, this is Sir Eric of Troy and Rancho Cucamonga. Got a quick question for Dan. Hey Dan, I know that players can show uh, loyalty to their current coach and everything. Uh, sometimes just simply because they're afraid not to, you know, being benched or something like that. But I'm wondering if you have any idea if some of the players themselves are are just not happy with this coaching staff and just feeling as though this is not what they signed up for at all. If you have you gotten that sense if there's been anybody bold enough to to say so or or at least privately show that um that they just just don't want the health and staff anymore. Um, I'm curious to know about that. Uh, fight on, guys, and uh, thanks so much for the show. Yeah, Sir Eric, um, I think the rumblings are there. I mean, you, you'd have to, I mean, because some of the kids are getting blamed 
<clears throat> for things that really aren't their responsibility. And uh, I mean, I'm personally offended by the number of people uh, on the PC who want to blame JT Daniels. And I just think that's one of the best 18 year old freshman quarterback seasons anybody's ever had considering how little support, you know, that, that, that most games they can't run the ball and most games they don't do a great job pass protecting. And, uh, you know, the, the two of the key plays in, in the game uh, against Cal, uh, you know, USC's pass protecting with six guys, Cal's rushing six, and we know who won that battle twice. I mean, JT didn't have a chance. Uh, and yet people want to, you know, he's just not the right guy or he's not Sam. Well, no, he wasn't supposed to be Sam. He does different things from Sam. He does things really well, a lot of them. Uh, he's not getting a chance to do that. I mean, if you're, you know, any one of these kids, you've got to be really disappointed in the way this season has gone. Uh, if you're Cam Smith, who, you know, came back, uh, you know, for his senior year, um, you know, it's been tough. He's been trying to be, you know, a leader. Um, I mean, this is a team where the, you know, the players have to decide that they're going to get rid of no pads in November. Uh, it really shouldn't be a call that the players make. Uh, so you're really asking a lot from, you know, from players to, kind of decide things and and so i think are, are they unha- are they unhappy and saying this is not what i signed up for you bet uh are there reasons for them to feel like okay this is going to come around we you know we just got you know we had some bad breaks and whatever i mean yeah obviously there's been a lot of injuries and uh you know they they've shot themselves in the foot more than they've had bad breaks you know go against them obviously like the cow game you get a terrible call by two terrible Pac-12 officials who were right on the play on the sideline where a guy, the guy, the receiver comes down with half his foot on the line. It's obvious to anybody. I mean, you didn't even have to be watching it that closely. You realized he couldn't have come down inbounds where his feet were. Could not have possibly, you didn't have to even see where, where it actually touched down. It couldn't have been. So they both get it wrong. Uh, and during the interminable review, replay review, is when Biggie, you know, gets caught on the sidelines and jawing with him. I'm, I'm, I'm sure Biggie knew it wasn't a catch. He's pissed off about about the call, and so you know the officials they get no, you know, they say, oh, okay, it wasn't a catch, but still it's going to be a first down because of, of what Biggie did. So you got a bad break, but then you compound it with, you know, with the penalty, and that's kind of the way you know this season has gone. They've gotten some bad breaks, but. An awful lot of it has been, you know, contributed by USC by, you know, either positively or, or, or just not doing, you know, the right things in practice and uh, and not being prepared, you know, in games and, uh, you know, how often we've seen, we've heard, for example, uh, they did something we didn't see on film, we weren't ready for, <laughs> and you think, oh come yeah, on, that's, you know, my goodness, I mean, uh, it, it's just, you know, uh, it's just. Uh, it just you don't almost know what to say when you hear that you know you just think how badly prepared are these kids going into games i mean and it's like if it's not on film we can't prepare for it instead of make them prepare for you you know do what you do so well that you can do it under any circumstances and you're ready for anything that they can possibly do and you're going to just do what you do and that doesn't seem to be the way this uh, this goes, and uh, and that that just doesn't work. I mean, you got to be, you got to know who you are, how you're going to win football games, and what you have to do, you know, in practice, in spring football, in the summer. I mean, when you look back at it now, spring football was like a wipeout. I mean, what did they accomplish? I mean, you didn't have your guy who's going to be your starting quarterback. But you, you basically had a spring where the two returning quarterbacks came out of spring with no confidence at all, and the team had no confidence in them. But if you're going to come back and say, okay, JT Dan is probably going to be our quarterback, you have to be able to run the ball, and you have to be able to pass protect. And you could have done a better job in spring working on those two things. And I didn't get the sense that either of those things happened. Because JT Daniels, if he's got a running attack, that's really solid. His the play action game becomes 
so much more difficult to defend. And everything has changed. USC had to be able to be the run first team Clay said it was going to be, and it wasn't. And that's on this coaching staff. They had to be able to get that done. I mean, these players, offensive line might not be as athletic and as good as they were evaluated coming out of high school, but they're not that bad. And they could have been made into a unit that could function uh, well enough to be able to run the ball against whoever they play uh, decently, enough to make the play-action passing game really solid. That they couldn't do that allowed people to just sit back. And, you know, knowing that if they come, they might be able to get there, but if they just sit back, every throw is is a really, really difficult throw that USC has to make. Yeah, I agree with you there, Dan. Uh, we got one from Jason in Longhorn Country. Uh, this is actually a positive spin, so wait for it. He said, at this point, anybody with eyes can see that the coaching staff is struggling. The team lacks discipline. The team lacks mental toughness. The starting lineup has nothing to do with who the best player is at each at each position, and I could go on and on. Uh, it's going to get to the positive part. Don't worry. Uh, but these points have all been beaten to death. In an effort to steer the conversation in a more positive direction, can we talk about how great of a season Chris Brown is putting together. I mean, seriously, is he the offensive MVP at this point? Fight on Jason and Longhorn country. He's getting, he just keeps getting better. I mean, I'd always was, was a little worried. I mean, he had maybe one of the best games we've ever seen last year in that first Stanford game. And then maybe it, it didn't quite happen all the way, rest of the way, but he came back this year and he just keeps getting better and better and better. The problem with that is, as Coach Calloway liked to say, you know, it's like having you know your five fingers and four forming them into a fist. You got to have all of them. You know, you know, you have only one of them. What are you going to poke somebody's eye out with it? You know, I mean, there's you need a fist. You need all five of them, and it does make you know make it difficult uh, to get the job done. But yeah, you can't say enough good things about how Chris Brown just keeps getting better and better and better and and more and more solid and. His grades show it, and everything else. Uh, you just wish uh, wish that was happening at at the other spots. I think Austin Jackson has uh, has come along. I think Toa's snapping has has hurt his you know the rest of his game a little bit, and they're you know starting to substitute at right guard now with uh, you know Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, but uh, one would have liked to have seen uh, more uh, more competing for offensive guard spots instead of just settling in with, you know, the guys that were there last year. Uh, I think it would have been more important. And I think, you know, with Tuma's, um, you know, health issues and all of that, I think having somebody who, you know, was like a co-starter there the whole time, or is that a place where you could put Toa? Um, There's just so many things I think that just didn't happen to, to make that offensive line situation more competitive. But, uh, but Chris Brown has certainly, you know, thrived in it, but uh, I'm not sure uh, for the rest of them. Uh, I think Austin Jackson has, he's just got so much going for him athletically that uh, and I think we're, you know, you're seeing that, but, um, but you need all five of them. Yeah. Chris Brown was on the, it was the guest on Trojans live last night. Not the, not the biggest talker in the world, but you know, it's, it, <laughs> no. shows, it shows that, you know, at least he's uh, getting recognized, you know. He should come on and play his, he's, you know, he's got a reputation as a blues guitarist, but uh, but he, he's not going to talk your ear off, that's for sure. No. He's not going to tell you what he's thinking much. And, and so you don't, you know, you don't, there isn't almost a way to draw out somebody like, like Chris. He's just not going to. So it's hard to, to, you know, make him, uh, you know, come alive in a lot of ways, like you can, uh, you know, with bigger personalities, but, um, but his, certainly his play, um, makes you want to, you know, want to talk to him and find out what, what, what's, what's going on. Although he never changes. He never, you know, no. you don't know if he's had a good game or a bad game or a good day or a bad day. He is just who he is. He's not going to, you know, uh, blow himself up at all. He just, He's a very, very down to, you know, very, very downbeat sort of a guy and very, very down to earth. And, uh, 
but having a great season. All right, here's the next question we got. It's a voicemail. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Dan. This is Matt from Ann Arbor. Um, watching the game, turned it off with about five minutes left to go. I don't think it really matters whether they win or lose at this point. It's kind of painfully clear that this is a team in search of a coach. You know, they have a, a lot of talent and just looks like it's listing and they kind of look lost and no, no punch, no drive. Um, this is a mediocre Cal team that decided they're going to be sort of chippy. And uh, the best way to stop that would be to just be very disciplined and run, you know, aggressive, you know, effective plays against them. And they can't even do that. And uh, I think the uh, beginning sequence of the second half sort of epitomizes a lot of the issues with SC. Um, you know, drop passes, a center penalty, a terrible snap, and then a fight on the sideline after. And really the coaches are nowhere to be seen in the whole sequence. And uh, you just feel the sort of uh, air being punched out of the, the crowd in that whole, you know, the, the end of the second quarter and the beginning of the third quarter. And then it's Cal's game after that. And you see these kind of <laughs> mediocre players being very, hockey you know it's uh it's it's too bad because sc is so talented and i i think uh, helton has a has an important place in the history of sc as a somebody who kind of kept the sanity for a period but it's very clear he's not a he's not a big time college head coach as good as a person as he is um and i you know i'm sort of looking forward to the end of the season to be honest uh so um I appreciate all you guys do, and uh, thanks for letting me vent a little here. Um, uh, fight on, hang in there, Trojan fans and the players. Uh, hoping you get better direction coming soon. Yeah, the hard to add. You know, they're seeing it clearly in Ann Arbor. Uh, you know, the picture is coming through uh, just the way it is. I mean, you can't can't hide it. You can't uh, gloss over it. You can't, uh, you know make it any better than it is it is what it is and uh, uh can't you know disagree with uh with anything you said i mean that's who they are right now that's where they are yeah they are and that uh, matt and uh ann arbor was i know it's a little long but i felt i needed him to let him vent a little bit there so uh <laughs> i thought it's good he needed to get some stuff off his chest um yep. but good points he had a lot of good points in there no i mean I mean, it's pretty obvious. I mean, I don't think anybody is not seeing what's going on. I mean, that's not even the question anymore. Uh, I mean, I think we saw it coming the way they were practicing and, and you know, the, just the, the inability to do what you had to do and to be able to do it early in the season against, you know, people you were playing, obviously now you should have beaten Stanford. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. I mean, that this team, Again, this team at worst ought to be eight and two. Uh, and yet, I mean, and, and that wouldn't have been great. People would have said, eh, it's okay. And now you look at it and think, oh my God, how good would that have been? Uh, but let's face it, that, you know, you can give them the Texas loss, although Texas has turned out to be nice and they are who they are. They're pretty good and they, they get most of, you know, what, what they have out of themselves and Utah, certainly when USC played them. But other than that, I mean, this is, this is an A2 team right now. If they do anything right, if they're, you know, coached up at all, if they're, you know, on the same page, if they, you know, can run the ball even a little bit and, um, and have some discipline, but, uh, none of that seems to be, uh, enough. Uh, they're, they're not, where they need to be and um five and five is just awful it's a horrendous horrendous yeah season. no way this team this talented should be five have five losses and yeah. you know more coming obviously uh mike and said we got a couple more and we'll let you go i know we got to get to practice mike and santa barbara uh i was intrigued by your comment in the instant analysis that usc players said how well coached cal's team was what specifically do they mean for example the fake field goal attempt was very poor play calling decision, but I'm wondering what specifically the players are talking about when they say Cal or insert any other team we lost to is better coached. Mike and Santa Barbara. 
I think they they do what they try to do. You know, they don't try to do things uh, that they, you know, like the, the fake field goal, which is a desperation move. I mean, you didn't see Cal even down 14 to nothing and should have been down 27 to nothing. They came back out and played. I mean, they gave themselves a chance to win. They didn't do anything dumb that took themselves out of the game, where USC did. Uh, but they liked the fact that Cal's kids did exactly what they were supposed to do. They disguised those defenses. They disguised those blitzes. They disguised those coverages. They were all on the same page. They didn't, you know, just give USC, they didn't give USC anything easy. Where USC gave Cal uh, easy scores, US, uh, Cal didn't do that for USC. They made USC earn them. And they, you know, stopped them from a couple of times when USC should have scored or USC stopped itself, one or the other. Uh, but I just think the USC kids recognize that, that these guys played within themselves. They played within their system. And they watched Cal on film all week. And they were impressed that Cal, you know, competes. And Cal doesn't, you know, do, uh, they don't do dumb stuff. And they do a lot of things well. And, um, you know, by saying what they're saying, the USC kids, it's very easy to read into it, and we don't. I mean, it's really easy to to hear that with the USC kids saying that. Um, you know, and, and you never hear the other team say that. What The only thing you hear the other team say is USC is really talented or, or they're good or that's USC. But you never hear them say, man, USC is well coached or they're disciplined or they're tough, or they're physical. I not hear any of that, ever. And uh, that's too bad. Yeah. All right, we got one last one for you, Dan, and we'll let you go. Uh, here you go. Hey, Ryan, uh, this is Dan in uh, Deplorable Dan, and the last time I sent you guys uh, a little uh, communication, your response was there didn't seem to be a question there, but you didn't expect or didn't seem like I was asking a question. Here's a question. I'm watching the USC Cal game and I'm wondering, uh, when are we going to make a coaching change? Is it tomorrow or is it at the end of the year or I guess the real question is, do we have to sit through a UCLA and a Notre Dame loss or, or are we going to do something? Cause, uh, once again, uh, uh, another subpar performance. Thank you. Okay. Here's the problem. Uh, deplorable Dan, uh, USC may be the only, certainly the only great program, maybe the only power five program that in a period of, uh, you know, two seasons removed, fired two coaches in the middle of the season. That's never happened before in college football with what happened to Lane Kiffin and uh, Steve Sarkeesian. So to have the third straight coach fired before the end of a season, you just can't do that. As much as people say, oh, my gosh, you got to stop this, uh, I don't know that you can do that. I mean, you know, you might say, well, after the UCLA game, if, uh, do you go with an interim just to make it clear that there's going to be a change for the, uh, you know, for the next year? I don't know. Uh, but the thought that you would be, what does that say about the people making the decisions, pay, doing the hiring? If you, if if you have three straight coaches that don't make it to the end of the season, um, that's that's as negative as anything could be, and and that's more negative about the people on top than it is the people getting fired. Actually, um, so so I would think <clears throat> you can't do it. I would think they put themselves in a situation where they absolutely can't do it, but. Uh, you can understand why people were saying, why not? Uh, this week will be interesting. We'll know fairly early on Saturday afternoon um, how that last week of the season is going to go. And uh, if USC loses and they're not bowl eligible and they've got to beat Notre Dame to be bowl eligible, 
Uh, I don't know where that leads you. Yeah. Uh, not in a good place. Not in a good, not in a good place. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It that, leaves you in the Rose Bowl, but uh, that's the only place you're going to get close to the Rose Bowl unless you buy tickets. Uh, so not, I mean, it wasn't that long ago. Those of us can remember the response you would have is, Oh man, do we have to go to the Rose Bowl again this year? That's true, yeah. <laughs> Can you, I mean, holy crime, how far uh, USC is from that? And, yeah. uh, man. And the plural dad, like yeah. we talked about, we don't think the administration wants to make a move, so they wouldn't make something during the season. I, th- I know, I mean, I've been told that's the last thing they w- would ever do is do something during the season because that's happened. Uh, twice before, but that's like, you know, when I did the radio interview earlier today, that's like the first thing, like if they lose UCLA, are they just going to fire them right then and there? And it's like, that certainly would make sense, but I, I don't know. I don't think they would even do it uh, at that point. And, and, it, and this is what, when you look back, there's always big decisions that are being made. And there's always these head scratching decisions made by people in power at USC. And when you look back, We've talked about this with Pat Hayden a number of times, Dan. So if yep. I'm not mistaken, Pat Hayden hired two football coaches. You, you usually get one or two in your tenure, depending on how long you are. You had Steve Sarkeesian, who lasted a year and a half. And then you have Clay Helton, who doesn't look like he's going to survive three years. Um, that's a pretty bad track record for hiring coaches, I would say. Well, you have three straight athletic directors who didn't have a minute of athletic director experience before they got hired. At <laughs> yeah, USC. but they played football at USC, Dad. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, that. okay. I forgot. Yeah, that, that, that makes you a, uh, that makes you an expert in running an athletic department that, uh, you know, uh, however many hundred million dollar, hundred and some million dollar athletic department. Yeah. That, that, that really gets you ready to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, at, at least Mike Garrett, Mike Garrett at least worked in the athletic department before, and then, you know, Pat Hayden, you could sort of like see, may- I mean, he didn't have any experience. I think that's bad, but you could see, well, maybe some of his, he was still around the program a lot. Lynn Swan wasn't even like in the state. He, I don't know when the last time he was on campus when they hired him like that, that's like the most baffling one. It's really at this point, like, all right, who's the next football player we can hire? Like t- three in a row. I think that's a, I think you got to call it quits, but uh, Pat, <laughs> Pat Hayden's uh, record as far as, all, we we've said this a million times. If you reverse every major decision he made, you'd be well better, you know, better off. So having two football coaches hired under his watch and uh, both of them, you know, not lasting past three years would be pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, they, they they were making decisions for all the wrong reasons, and, and 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 you can't do it that way. I mean, they've hired athletic directors for the wrong reasons. They've hired football coaches for the wrong reasons. That almost never works out. It did once, and Mike Garrett lost everybody he approached and, and ended up with Pete Carroll, who, you know, recruited the job, basically, with a daughter who was, you know, a freshman uh, on campus. And, and you know, they're lucky Pete Carroll, you know, really wanted the job, but he basically recruited USC for, uh, for that job. But, yeah, they're, the track record at USC of hiring coaches is, is just uh, way worse than the record on the field. Um, so you got to do it for the right reasons. I'm not sure what is the right reason at USC right now. Do they want to still win national championships? Uh, you know, they were saying that before the season started. I don't know. We're hearing that much lately. Uh, and you know, I mean, if you're in the bottom, you know, 25% of the PAC 12, you know, the worst conference in, you know, power five football, you have really fallen a long way and there's no excuse. I mean, it's not like, you know, they've got sanctions or roster problems or they've had trouble recruiting or anything. You know, it's all on you. It's all on everybody at USC that had anything to do with this program. Uh, It's on all of them. And who wants to take the blame? I don't think we've got a lot of people. You know, you don't become an academic bureaucrat at a really, you know, great university like USC by taking the blame for anything. So... You know, there's a lot of ducking going on uh, around USC at this point in time, and, and that's uh, that's a shame because who who takes it uh, and it takes the worst end of it are the players. 
and they're the one, you know, getting criticized and uh, they're the ones that get, you know, getting injured and all of that. And whether that has anything to do with how they practice or not, it's just, this is not a good, you know, this is not a good situation. And, you know, a program, a, a university like USC wants to project success and, you know, smart decision-making in everything it does. And whether or not the football program ought to be the number one thing that people know about or think about is irrelevant. It is. And when it, you know, when it's going south, uh, people say, what's wrong at USC? I mean, and obviously, <laughs> there are a number of things you can point out to, uh, you know, that are going wrong. And obviously, they've got the, a lot of great things going. I mean, the, you know, the highest, uh, the biggest uh, fundraising program in the history of higher education in America. That's up to seven and a half billion dollars for the, you know, the campaign for USC. Uh, there's so many great things going on, and the campus is unbelievable, and it's just alive. And uh, you know, the buildings and and the programs and all of those things that say so many good things about USC. But uh, a lot of people know about USC through football. And that message that's, uh, you know, going out is not a good one for USC. No, it's not. I mean, I brought, so it was homecoming this past weekend and shout out to Trader Joe's. We went over there uh, to uh, University Village and they were, they were great to us over there and showed them around. And these people, some of my friends that hadn't been on campus for, you know, a dozen years or more, some people since they graduated, you know, 25 years ago and to see everything walking through um, University Village, you know, check it out. Like you can go to Trader Joe's. You can come down from your, that's a dorm and you can go downstairs and go and buy something to eat at Trader Like, yes, you can do all that. And I showed them the bags and everything from, and it's just, it's, there's a lot of impressive stuff obviously going around uh, at USC and the football team isn't one of them right now. But they, I mean, it, it could be, and it's the, this, you're saying they, they made bad decisions but they made decisions for the wrong reasons. And when you do that, that usually comes back to haunt you. And that's what we're seeing from USC right now. A lot of bad decisions that were made for the wrong reasons before are coming to roost. What did you really need to hire a, a coach with no experience? Like, no, you didn't need to do that. Maybe it would work out. It's obviously not. So that's a bad decision that was made over three years ago. And you know now we're dealing with this mess right now. But a big part of that is, USC didn't trust itself to go out and find the right coach. So they went with the easy decision because they knew they had someone who wouldn't embarrass them the way the two previous coaches did. So that's, you know, that's a reason. And it's not a bad reason. It's just not the right reason for hiring the next football coach, you know? But if you say, well, who around here could possibly get it right after the last two hirings and firings? That's a that's a way to look at it. I mean, but you probably need to get more professional with the people who are doing the hiring. And you already know that people doing the hiring don't have any experience doing it. I mean, I think one of the hardest things if you get a and one of the reasons I'm I always have to be uh, really uh, uh, convinced that hiring a coordinator, uh, the best coordinator in the country as your head coach is they've never put together a staff. They've never hired a staff. And hiring a staff is about as important as anything you could do as a head football coach. The same thing applies to athletic directors. If you've never hired anybody, how do you? How can you possibly be a head, head uh, you know, an athletic director where you've got, you know, several hundred employees directly under you, and you've got some, you know, you've got people who are the highest paid people in the university working for you. You have to get those hires right. I mean, let's face it, the football coach and the basketball coach are your highest paid, you know, of the USC is the largest employer in Los Angeles. And yet they've got two people that are so highly paid, uh, you know, of the, you know, however many 50 or 60,000 employees, the two by far highest profile, highest paid are, you know, the football and basketball coach. You have to get those hires right. And you can't be a rookie at making hires and expect to get them right. It's really hard. There aren't that many great football and basketball coaches. And that's what they're paying you to do. But if you've never done it before, how would you expect those people to be able to get that right? Yeah. You shouldn't. They're not going to. No. 
<laughs> yeah. That's, uh, I, I don't know if much is going to change until you actually bring in a sitting athletic director who knows what he's doing. I'm just not sure anything else is going to change, Dan. So it's hmm. probably not, you know, since Lynn Swan's been on the job, what, less than two years now, right? Like, they don't, right. that's probably not changing anytime soon. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, well, we don't want to make this a depressing podcast, but we got to get we got to get going to practice. But I want to thank you, Dan, uh, for coming on. Lots of great questions. I will. We will get a column up. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll help Dan with some of these questions and get them to him and uh, put up the questions we didn't get to up in a column as Dan normally does uh, late in the week. And wanted to thank uh, SeatGeek and both Trader Joe's for sponsoring this episode of the Peristyle Podcast. We appreciate all the sponsorship and allowing us to keep this going and, and rolling out content for all you. And uh, Dan, I guess we'll, we'll see you over on practice a little bit. See should, you practice. Should be okay. interesting. Levi Jones Take watch care. or lack of <laughs> Levi Jones watch. Yeah, man. Where'd he go? All right. That's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.